0: This morning, great job in that. We're going to take a moment now to dismiss our children upstairs for Kids Crew, a time of worship for kids that is on their level and designed, really, just to speak the truth of the gospel into their lives in a way that they can easily understand and connect with. And as they make their way forward for Kids Crew this morning, I want to invite the rest of us to turn Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start. In verse 11, this morning will be our beginning point. Friday night, if you were at the Chickasha football game, you you saw in the uh, festivities that were happening at halftime a recognition of some cancer survivors, a couple of which are uh, in in our church family, and uh, and this month especially gets a lot of attention. Uh, we we give a lot of attention is what I mean to say to uh, cancer and and uh, trying to raise awareness for those who are currently fighting cancer and just for the cause of cancer research that uh, that organizations that are raising money raising funds to try to do cancer research use this time so you'll see lots of athletes wearing you know pink uh, with their uniforms this time of year, there's uh, there are the different walks that happen to raise awareness, different things in the community, and this and it's great, all of it's great. But when we think about that, really, it it brings our attention back to cancer itself and, and what cancer is. On Friday, uh, I saw my parents for just a minute, and my own dad had a had a. a Patch right here on his forehead, where earlier this week he had had some skin cancer cut out and removed, and, and so he had it bandaged up where they had done that. And, and so, uh, you know, cancer is uh, something that strikes home and hits personally for us because in our family, a number of people have had cancer, not even including just the most recent. Cancer, but both of my parents have had cancer. My mother had kidney cancer that was diagnosed about six years ago and had a portion of a kidney removed. My dad, some years ago in 2005, was diagnosed with prostate cancer and had to to deal with that. and And so, it's something that that is is personal. It's something that um, that for many of us. In fact, I would I would dare say all of us. I I don't know anyone that isn't personally affected in some way, whether you are the one personally who has survived or it's a family member, a close friend who has battled cancer. Cancer is something that that we face. But what is cancer really? When you think about cancer, if you study, now this is going to seem like a, a bit of an oversimplification, and admittedly it is, but essentially what cancer is, cancer is something that begins on the cellular level. It, cancer cells are those cells which which behave badly again I'm trying to describe it in in the simplest terms, I suppose. But cells that behave badly or behave wrongly and ignore messages sent to them to stop multiplying. And so these bad cells continue to multiply even when they're not supposed to. And they can even grow immunities to the body's defenses. And they begin to multiply. They begin to, to collect together and form masses. But but cancer masses, cancer tumors and such, begin really on the cellular level. It's when small things, small things multiply. Well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of application to that that we'll preach, but especially as it relates to our passage, our text this morning in Ephesians. What we see in this passage, really going to become the, kind of the, the center of this passage, is that it's the, it's the little things that matter. As a matter of fact, when we think about church and church life, which is really where Ephesians 4 speaks to us because it's a chapter all about the the function of the church, the life of a church, what we see is that in church life, little things matter in big ways. And so if I could if I could give you uh, the sermon in a sentence essentially this morning, if I could try to summarize the message of Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16, I, it would be to say that in this passage what we see is that when pastors see the big picture, they produce saints who do the little things and the net result is that the church grows so when pastors when shepherds see the big picture they produce saints that's the people of the church that do the little things and the net result is that the church grows now i want us to dig in and of course understand that and really draw that out of the text this morning but that's what we see it's the little things that we do the little things in church life the 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 ways that each one of us if i can if i can break it down even another way the way that each one of us function inside of the body of Christ that matters so significantly in terms of the church operating the way that it was designed. And that's what Ephesians 4 is going to point us to. When I originally set out to preach through Ephesians 4, this particular text, which is right in the middle of Ephesians chapter 4 itself, but really in the middle of our sermon series as well, this text is where it was at. I mean, in, in, in as much as anything else, these verses that we're going to look at this morning were the driving force behind my desire because I think that understanding what is being said in Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 16 is so critical for the life of any church. And so I'm, I'm so glad that you're here today to hear this message. We get to dig in and study this together because I think this is a word that we as a church, I'm speaking specifically to First Baptist Church of Chickasha, but in many ways the church, much in, in, in much bigger terms even than, than our local body, needs to hear this message. So let's dig in this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, we read, And he gave, now he there, we're picking up in the, in the midst of a thought here, right? So in context, remember, we're talking about, about Jesus who has given gifts to us for the sake of, uh, uh, of the unity of the body through the work of the Holy Spirit. It comes from God the Father, given as the gift of Christ, the gift of grace that we saw, and it's given through the work of the Holy Spirit, all right? So he gave the apostles, the prophets, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so this text, this passage here, is all about, it's about the church and the growth that happens in the church when the parts of the church, that's the people of the church, right, are functioning in the way that they should, each one according to its design, equipped by the, the pastors, the leaders of the church. And so when pastors see the big picture, produce saints that do the little things, and the net result is that the church grows. In order for us to see that, there are, essentially there are three, three uh, key players here in this passage that I want us to look at today. I want us to see this role of pastors, shepherds, leaders of the church, the role of saints and then together as the body. So the the saints individually, but then we might say the shepherds, the saints together corporately working as the church, as the body. So it's the the staff, if you will, in, in in the modern context, the pastors of the church. The, the, the saints, that's the people of the church and the body, the church itself are the three key players. And the goal in all of this is that if we will be healthy, if we will seek to be healthy and to live in a way that is honoring to Christ, who is our head, it tells us here, that then the, then the net result is that things will happen according to his design, his purpose for us as a church. So first we see, healthy shepherds healthy shepherds these are pastors who are fit for their task it says in verse 11 he gave so understand first and foremost he gave who who gave god gave god gave these leaders he appointed might be another word that we could use there he appointed these leaders for a specific role in the life of a church now uh you could say that if God gave the the leaders to the church, you could say, well, then your pastors are a gift from God. And uh, and, and I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, right? Because it always feels like there's a self-serving agenda in saying that. But I'm, I mean that in if I can to, to separate myself out of that picture at all. I'm not meaning to say by any means that I am a gift to you from God. That would be Uh, egotistical to say the least, Uh, if not uh, maybe unhealthy in a number of other ways. But take me out of the the equation, okay? Take take any individual for that matter. When you look at the role of the, the pastors, the shepherds of the church, what this is telling us is that they were given by God. They were gifted or appointed by God for a specific role in the life of the body. So what is that role? What are they to do? Well, even the way that he has named the many different offices here all essentially point us to the different roles because you have several different words used. Look at these in verse 11. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. But all of these roles point to the, the leadership of the church, and in many ways we would say that these roles are fulfilled today by the pastors of a church. So if you go to any church, particularly the church in America, you go to any, any church in America, right? And, and you're saying, well, where do we see these roles played out? Where do these roles come into play in the life of a church? Shepherding, speaking prophetically, leading out in, in, in terms of evangelistic ministry, teaching. These are the works of the pastors, the leaders of a church. Now, it would be a whole other message, I suppose, to really break each of these roles and these functions down because they're not all the same. I don't mean to say that they all mean the same thing. Apostle, the apostolic gift is a different gift from the prophetic gifts, different from the uh, the the evangelistic gift or the evangelist shepherds, which by the way, that word shepherds is a word that's used throughout the New Testament, but it is the word that we use today for pastor. That's where the word pastor even comes from, is from the role of a shepherd. or that word shepherd or teachers, which could also be translated as shepherd teacher. That word in other places gets translated as shepherd teachers. And so all of these things today are, are, are different in, in the way that, uh, that that we understand them, and yet in, in every pastor that I know of, their job description reads like a bullet by bullet list of how they're to do these different things, how they're to function in their role and accomplish these different uh, these different well uh, the different gifts to use the different gifts to do their work. But look at what happens specifically. When the shepherd employs this gifting from God. Three things specifically that this passage tells us. You might think of it this way as the pastor's job description or the pastor's purpose. First of all, it says that they are to equip the saints for works of ministry. Primary among the pastor's many functions in the life of the church is to equip the saints for works of ministry. Now that's really significant for a number of reasons, but chief among the, the reasons that I really want us to focus on that thought is because I don't want you to see so much what it says as much as what it does not say. What it says is that pastors are to equip saints for works of ministry. That's plain. We understand that. But here's what it does not say. It does not say that pastors are to do the ministry, that they're to be the hired hands, the, 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 the hired guns that come in and do all the work and all the ministry in the church, and so that everybody else can stand by and critique them and evaluate and, and either... Uh, you know, cheer them on and applaud them, or uh, give them you know their their short laundry list of all the things that they 're not doing well it 's not about the things that the pastor does in the sense that the pastors to try to do it all. His primary role is to equip saints for works of ministry equip the saints now that word equip that 's an important word it 's used twice in this passage we see it in verse. Uh, in, in verse 12 but then again we go down and we find it again in verse 16 which which it is equipped so talking here about equipping and then the product when the when the parts are equipped that the equipping of the saints is is really significant because if we understand this correctly that means that the primary function of the leadership of the church is to do things that are going to equip and build the body so that the body can do works of ministry. Now, one of the things that I think sadly is wrong with so many churches in America today, and and I'll be honest enough to say that we find roots of this even here in this body, is that far too often the pastors are looked to to be the ones that do the ministry while the people... Stand by and just kind of direct them or or just wait to be served. And there's a consumeristic kind of mentality that is rampant in our churches in America today that says that the pastors are the main players and that the church's job is just to is just to follow along and and do very little other than show up and give their money and and that's so broken in, in terms of what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is the role of shepherds is to minister primarily through prayer and the Word. Go to Acts chapter 6. And that in that, their their purpose, according to Ephesians chapter 4, is to equip the saints for works of ministry, to build the body up. The primary player that we see here are the saints themselves. It's the body. It's the many parts of the body that, when joined and held together and each one working properly, Build the body up in love is what Ephesians 4 tells us. Now, I said that there are roots of that here in this church. I, I believe that the majority of the people in this church, the vast majority of people in this church, understand understand that uh, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I can point to so many examples in the life of our church, but even still, honestly, there are times, and I'm not going to name any specific examples. I, I that's not the point. But there are times, even still, when, when someone will come to us for something that, that maybe perhaps they could have done or someone in a Sunday school class could have done or there's, another, there's, there's a built-in group of people to minister, and yet they'll come to us and say, well, we need you to do this for us lovingly, when that happens, I try, and as do our other staff, try to shepherd this body in such a way that we say, okay, well, we can help. We can come alongside, but we also need to understand that it's not our job. We're not the hired guns that are here to lead the church in every single area and do all of the work. Our job is to equip the saints for works of ministry. Now, I'm grateful that I'm grateful that I, I feel like we are a church that understands this. I'm, I, I think there there are some ways that we need to we need to step up our game a little bit. I'm going to speak to that a little bit more uh, later on in, in the message. But I think by and large we understand this. But you see, understanding this is really just the beginning. Understanding this is important, but that's just where it starts because. From there, we have to we have to fight against. We have to work with against that idea inside of us that says I'm going to offer my opinions. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna sit back and watch and, and wait. And there's there's a rule of thumb that is tossed around a lot in church life. If you've ever read any books on church leadership, church body, that kind of thing, there's a rule of thumb, generally speaking, that says. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Now, I don't think that that is by any means a hard and fast rule. In fact, I would even say in this church, it's not true. The 20, 20% uh, breakdown is is actually really low, I think, for our body. But I do think you could say, and, and I'm pointing the finger at us here, I do think you could look at our church and you could say that by and large, we have a lot of people On the sidelines, who need to get in the game. And that, as much as anything, is what Ephesians 4 is calling us to. If I were to try to to guess, I would say in our body, in our congregation, it's maybe something more like a 60 40 split. There's probably about 60% of people who are actively engaged and plugged in and doing something, and more like about 40% that are standing by or on the sidelines, is the way I would phrase that. But even that, Even that, as we're going to see, means that we've got some work to do. Because the biblical model is every part, 100% engaged in the work of the church. And that's the standard by which we operate. That's the goal for us, is that 100% of our body. Anything less than that, honestly, means that we've got work to do. We've got to engage. We've got to understand. We've We've got to call out. People to get in the game and use the gifts that God has given them. So the role of shepherds, to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's what it says. Equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So healthy shepherds are pastors who are fit for the task. In other words, healthy shepherds are ones who will not try to do it all but see their role as equipping everyone for works of ministry. Secondly, let's look at healthy saints. Healthy saints. What are healthy saints? Well, saints, I'm using that word because that's the word that's used here, right? Equip saints for the works of ministry. Healthy saints are saints who are seeking to serve. It means that the people of the church engage in ministry. A healthy saint is someone who understands that they have something to bring to the table, to bring to the church. They have something to add to the body. And unless they are doing their part, the body suffers in some way. Unless they do their part, they understand that the body is missing out on something that it needs. And so healthy saints are saints who seek to serve saints who are engaged in ministry, who understand it's not the role of the pastors to do all the works of ministry, that every one of us have a burden to bear. Every one of us have a part to play. Every one of us have a hand in this work of the ministry. So when that happens, we see three things here. When this, when this equipping happens and, and saints receive that and they seek to serve. Look, again, it's, Threefold, right? That Paul loves using, loves using this triplet formula, arranging things in pairs of three. If you study Paul's writing at all, this is something that he does. Even in this passage, he does it extensively. But we saw that there are three roles that the pastor has, right? Equip the saints for work the ministry for the building up of the body. Well, three things that happen when when that takes place. Healthy saints, we see attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god that's the first thing so when the when the saints when the when the people of the body understand this and they engage that there is a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god secondly we see that they attain mature manhood now that doesn't mean that you understand of course that manhood is being argued here in a way that today we would we would be much more inclined to to use a gender-neutral term, right? We would say something like personhood today, probably, but the idea is nonetheless is the same. It means that we grow up, that we mature. And here's something that's really important as a side note in all of this. Notice that maturity happens in community. Maturity happens in community. Why is that important? Because as as a member of the body, as a saint who's who's a part of the body, it means that you cannot arrive at maturity in Christ all by yourself, separate from or apart from the body. Maturity happens in community. It happens in the body. A key part of your maturity in Christ is when you begin to use the gifts given to you by God through the work of the Holy Spirit to function within the body. When you begin using your spiritual gifts, contributing your part of the body, then you mature you can't do that on your own you need a body to belong to you need a place to plug in and serve and as you do as you connect and you plug in and you serve not only is there a unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God but there's maturity that happens can I say as just a Just a quick plug, this is why I think group life matters so much. This is why it is so important that you get plugged in and connected to a group, a Sunday school group, a a group of people that you can study the Bible with, that you can pray together with, that you can serve with, that you can fellowship and share life with. We say around here often that groups are the Velcro that make people stick to our church. And part of why that's so important is because you can't mature on your own. You need a body. You need community. In order to grow up in the way that the scripture says you're to grow up and so unity of the faith maturity happens and then third importantly fullness of christ and so you want to you want to get all that god has for you? you if you want to experience the fullness of christ and who doesn't want that right Every Christian I know, every believer I know, really, ultimately, at the end of the day, they would say, I, I, I want to experience God's movement in my life. I want to experience the fullness of Christ. You realize that you cannot experience the fullness of Christ apart from his church, the body of Christ. That's what this passage teaches us. There is something in you that is incomplete until you are plugged in and serving and growing in a body, in a community, in in the local church. And see it from the other side as well. There's something in that community that's missing if you don't plug in and serve in the way that you're supposed to. It's a two-way street. And so healthy shepherds, don't try to do it all themselves. They don't try to shoulder all of the ministry themselves. They see their role as equipping saints. Healthy saints are those who step up, who say, put me to work, put me in coach. I recognize I've got a job to play. There is something for me to do in serving this body. I need to belong to the body. I need to be engaged with the body. I need to be actively involved in works of ministry, understanding that when I engage, I will mature The church will be unified, and we will experience the fullness of Christ. The saints are the key players here. That's what I want you to see. This passage primarily is not about pastors and and, and church leaders, although it does speak to that. This passage is primarily about the people of the church, the parts of the body engaging and doing their part. Why would I say that? Well, let's jump down and look at a key phrase in verse 16. In verse 16, we read about the whole body. And then look at this, this, the way that it's described. Joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. That essentially is a way of saying all the different people with all the different gifts held together in the way that God has put them together. And then this phrase. When each part is working properly makes the body grow. When each part is working properly. The parts, that's the key of this passage. It's about the parts. What are the parts? The parts are the saints. It's the, it's the, it's the members of the body. It's every one of us understanding our God-given role inside the body of Christ. So what this tells us is that when each part of the body is working properly it makes the body grow well if if that's true then the reverse is true well as well when each part is not working properly then the body will not grow and that's why this is so important for us to understand because ultimately what we understand about healthy shepherds and about healthy saints points us to a healthy church. And that's where I want us to camp out this morning for, for a minute and, and really dig in, not just with what this says, but what this says for us as First Baptist Church of Chickasha. A healthy church, I would describe as a body that's built to grow. Think about kids in their earliest stages of life, think about children when they're young, and how rapidly their their bodies grow in those early years. When Nixon was three years old, he broke his leg. He and Pike went down a slide together, and they landed awkwardly at the bottom, and essentially the weight of Pike's body landed on Nixon's leg and broke both of the bones in his lower leg just above the ankle. And that was a scary deal, and, and, and we, you know, anytime that happens as a parent, that really worries you, right? But we saw doctors and orthopedists, and they got everything lined up properly, and they put them in a cast and all of this. And the orthopedic specialist that we saw at, at Children's Hospital made a statement to us that has always stuck with me, because I think it, it really applies to the way we see the church. He said this. He said, you know, children's bodies are amazing the way that God has designed them. He said, If the, the truth of the matter is that when an injury like this happens, you can't stop the body from trying to repair itself. So all we really need to do is get the bones lined up just right. And if the bones are lined up right, then, then we can't stop them from growing back together. I mean, it's, it's doing what it's designed to do. And I thought, well, that's really, it's really amazing, first of all, that, just a reminder to us of how incredibly and wonderfully made we are, that God designed our bodies. I thought it was pretty neat that the doctor saw it that way and then he spoke about it that way too. But then on top of all of that, I thought what what a, what a beautiful application for the life of a church. Because as a parts of the body, if we will just be in our place, if we will each one of us understand that we have a role to do and we will be in our place and try to be aligned properly, then what's gonna happen is we're gonna grow because that's what God has designed his body to do. And so if we're not growing, then we have to ask ourselves the question, well, are we, not, are we not all in the right place? Are we not all lined up? Are we not healthy? Are we not doing the right things? So recently, I have really dug into our church and where we are, and studied the numbers. And and the reason for that primarily is because I just finished a doctoral seminar that was called uh, Critical Issues in Church Revitalization. So I'm working on my doctorate, and this was a class that I had to take for that. And And the whole focus of the class was in understanding where our church is and where the church in America is and in calling church leaders to be equipped to lead their churches to healthy Christ-centered growth. And the reason for that is because across the board, when you look at the church in America today, both in evangelical circles and non-evangelical circles, both in uh, in, in what we would call mainline Christian denominations and evangelical Christian denominations, Protestant, non-Protestant, across the board, the Christian church in America, all these numbers and the statistics tell us that somewhere around 90% of churches are growing at a rate that is less than 2.5% Over five years. And why that number especially is significant is because that's essentially what they call the AAGR, the Average Annual Growth Rate. And so if a church isn't growing by at least 2.5% over a period of five years, that means that the church isn't growing enough to keep up with just basic population growth. And all of the studies from all the different groups, and they don't all agree on the numbers necessarily, but across the board, every study that's out there points to the fact that the large majority, somewhere around 80 to 90 percent, of all churches in America, Christian churches in America, are either in a state of plateau or decline. And that even in the churches where you do see growth happening, even in those churches that are defying the trend, when they really break it down, by and large, most of that growth is coming from people who are leaving other churches and just flocking to the churches where it seems like they've, got, they've really got it happening. And this is a huge, a huge problem facing the church in America. That when you look at our, our numbers for evangelism, in fact, in Southern Baptist Convention, if we just focus in on Southern Baptist Convention, every year a Southern Baptist church produces a report that's called the Annual Church Profile or the ACP. And according to the ACP, you report numbers based on your Sunday school attendance and your church size and your giving and and all these different things. The number of baptisms that you saw and the number of people that joined your church this last year. And, And that number of baptisms is a key metric because that's part of the way that we track how many people we're evangelizing. When you look at the life of a church and you want to say well how are we reaching people how are we really reaching the lost the way that we track that is we look at our baptisms because baptism is a key step in southern baptist life in in reaching someone and connecting them with the body now not everyone who makes a decision for christ gets baptized and not everyone that we baptize just recently made that decision for christ and so uh, we understand that that The numbers themselves tell a bit of a story and sometimes we have to look inside that. But by and large, the way that we track how we're doing at reaching the lost is to look at this. And as a function of the annual church profile, one of the numbers that we look at is how many people in the church does it take to reach a lost person? It's a ratio of baptisms to church membership. If you were to study in Southern Baptist life about uh, about 50 years ago, if you were to go backward in time about 50 years ago, 50 to 60 years ago, that was the height of the Southern Baptist Convention in terms of like our our numerical size and, and the growth of our denomination. We've been in a slow, steady decline for a period of about 50 to 60 years, as have, as I've already mentioned, really every uh, Christian denomination in America. And when you look at the numbers and you study the trends, What the numbers tell us is that about 60 years ago, it took on average around 20 members of a church to see one person saved. That for every 20 members, we saw one person come to Christ. That number in the Southern Baptist Convention now, the average is closer to 85 to 1 now across the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, there are some churches that do a lot better than 85 to 1, but that also means, sadly, that there are a lot of churches that do a lot worse than 85 to 1. Let me give you the numbers for us. Let me just read some of these numbers for us. If you study, and I have a little chart here that you can print out. If you study our annual church profile from the last 10 years, the last decade, go back to 2008. I'm just going to read the numbers quickly here that you'll that you'll see. But uh, we see that our 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 ratio here, or, or let me not even necessarily focus so much on the ratio. Let me just give you the numbers themselves. We saw in 2008, we, we baptized 18 people. In 2009, 19 people. 2010, 24. Then 8. Then 22. Then 15. Then 12. Then 16. Then 5. Then 22, right? That's where we've been over the last few years. The The ratio of resident members to baptisms goes like this, 63 to 1, 59 to 1, 46 to 1, 134 to 1, 51 to 1, 76, 125, 36, 118, 28. If you look at those ratios over the years, what does all of that mean for us? Well, here's what that means. Here's what that means. That means that you could look at our church and you could say, all right, well, we're better than most. Frankly, we're doing a job that's better than most. But we ought not to applaud ourselves too greatly there or, or, or work too hard to congratulate ourselves because the sad reality is if you, if you study our growth against that average annual growth rate, we are a church that is in a state of plateau or decline. And, 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 and I, I've, I've said that in some different groups, Sunday school leadership groups, uh, among our deacons and some other i mean i 've talked openly been talking about this uh, for for several weeks now, and kind of uh, just just sharing these numbers in different venues with different groups of people and by and large, the reaction that I met with is people say huh well that 's surprising because I look at all the great things that are happening in our church, and I see all the the good things that are happening, and I say, "Me too, right." Like, I was a little bit surprised by that as well because we look at the good things that are happening and we see and we celebrate some of the good things. And, and honestly, we've had some really awesome things happen in our church in the last few years. But here's what here's what all of this means, if I'm trying to make sense of it. And, and I think what this means is that where people are engaging and plugging in, great things are happening. But as I've already mentioned, I think that there are... there sadly, there are probably almost as many people who aren't engaging as those who are engaging. And so where people engage and where people plug in and where people take ownership of ministry and the call that God has put on their life, good things happen. And frankly, where people stand by and watch, nothing happens. And if we're to be the church that God has called us to be, We can't do it with just a few. We can't even do it with just a simple majority. It takes every person, every part working together in the way that God has designed, right? Or every part working properly the way that this says. When we look at the church in Ephesus, and we study the church of Ephesus in the New Testament, what we see is in Acts chapter 19 It says in verse 10 that all of Asia heard the gospel because of what happened in Ephesus. But then by the time that Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, things have begun to decline a little bit. And then when we study the church of Ephesus over a greater period of time, by the end of the first century, when John is writing the book of Revelation and in the early chapters of Revelation, he writes the seven letters to the seven churches in Asia— One of those churches is the church in Ephesus. In fact, it's the first letter that's written. And in Revelation chapter 2, we see that letter written to the church at Ephesus. And it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Sadly, even the church at Ephesus eventually lost sight of this call even the church at ephesus lost sight of their first love and slowly over time faded into well we could say irrelevance maybe at, at best do you hear anything about the church at ephesus today you don't in fact the church any christian church any christian presence in the modern uh, in, in the modern city where ephesus once stood honestly is by and large for the most part uh, underground because of persecution and other things that are happening the church did not did not stand against the growing tide of secularism and liberal ideologies and and, and non-Christian influence in its own day, in its own way. I don't mean to say that it looks like what it looks like today. It's completely different. But in its own way, in its own day, the church didn't stand against those things, and the net result is that they faded into irrelevance. Maybe even, we could say, non-existence. And sadly, the church in America... If we don't wake up and recognize this, we may be headed for a similar trajectory. Now, I don't pastor the church in America. I pastor as if there even was such a thing, right? I pastor the First Baptist Church at Chickasha. But as I study this and I look at the numbers, what it challenges me to think of, how do we grow as a church? How do we grow? Well, here, here it is. Are you ready? Here's the formula. This not, I don't like. Making things in the Bible overly formulaic, right? One, two, three steps for this, or seven keys for this, or that, or the or I mean, I, I want to study the scriptures, I want to understand what it says, and I want to put it into practice in our lives. But I do think that there is a, a bit of a process here that we can understand. That the way that we that we that we get out of this pattern of of plateau or slow, steady decline. Is that first of all, we recognize that these problems are above and beyond everything else. these are spiritual matters. These are spiritual matters, and what I mean by that is it begins in the hearts of God's people. This is not something that's fixed with better, more relevant programs, or a hippier uh, hip hippier, no hipper, uh, uh, you know ministries, hippier too, I suppose you know we could all get granola, but it, it's not. It's not something that we're going to fix by just making a few tweaks. If I would just change the way I dress or if, you know, if we would change out and get a a rock band or if we would, you know, take out all the pews and put in certain kind of chairs and paint the walls black and all, then we would, you know, and and everything had an industrial look and the bright light show and all right. There's a lot of churches that have done that. They've tried to follow a formula thinking, what's worked? And they look around them and they just try to make these changes. And the problem is that's just surface stuff. It doesn't really get to the heart of the matter. Because the heart of this resides on the spiritual level, in the the hearts of people. And so... If we're to see growth happen, if we're to experience revival or revitalization in our midst, it it begins by understanding that this is a spiritual matter. It begins in the hearts of God's people. Each one of us individually have to search our own heart and ask, Lord, am I doing my part? Am I doing everything that you've called me to? Am I plugged in and serving in the way that you want me to be serving? Am I using the gifts that you've given me to build your body? And then practically speaking, okay, so it's first and foremost, it's spiritual, but then practically speaking, the way that we, that we, that we accomplish this is that the people who are on the sidelines have got to get in the game. The people who are standing by watching have got to find a place to plug in and serve. Because if I understand this right, verse 16 tells us that when each part is working properly, the body will grow. And so if each part isn't working properly, the body isn't going to grow, at least not in the way that it could if each part were working properly. You see? Practically speaking, the answer is to get more people involved and give more people ownership of the ministry of the church. We grow the ministry of the church when the people of the church all take ownership of that ministry. It's not just my ministry. It's not just mine and the staff. It's our ministry together, collectively, that we share as the First Baptist Church of Chickasha, as the body of Christ that he's put here on this corner of Fourth in Chickasha. Right in the heart of this city, God has called us to be a lighthouse I've mentioned that there are some really great things that have happened in our church. Listen, I I want to cherry pick a few examples. There are so many that I could use. But when you look at our church and you go backward over the last five to 10 years of our church, the things that have seen the most significant growth were the things that the pastors had the smallest part in. Now you can think of that what you will, I guess, right? You could think, well, good, we don't need you guys. Maybe you don't, but... I'd like for you to keep us around, right? My family wants to eat. But the truth is, when you look at our church, the things that have been the healthiest, the things where we have experienced the most growth, are the places where we have seen these principles at work, where the people take ownership, the staff come around to equip the saints, and the ministry happens. Things like Celebrate Recovery that was began over a decade ago. The pastors and staff of this church didn't start that. The people of the church started that out of a burden that God had put in their heart. And it's grown and it's done phenomenally and reached a lot of people along the way. And it's largely been driven by the people of the church. Look at something like the Haven, a ministry that has blown up. It went from nothing to something huge in the last few years. And the pastors of the church, by and large, didn't drive that. It was the people of the church who got behind it and saw it happen. Look at something like, uh, you think of all the young families, because so often that's what people really rally to. That's the one thing I hear so many people talk about. All the young families and all the kids and and how, how can we not be growing? We've reached so many young families, and we have. We've reached a lot of young families. Even that, when you really, when you boil it down and you really look at what's going on there, it's not something that the pastors of this church did. It's something that the people in that group did when they understand that ownership of that ministry belongs to those people, and they just took that seriously. How do we live life together? And it's like a, a baby bomb went off in the midst of that group, right? And and we saw this growth happen in that group. But the truth of the matter is, those things, and I could I could point to other examples. I, I I'll stop there. But. The things that have grown the most successfully are the things that I think we can point to and say, these biblical principles were at play. And so, what that tells me is if we put these biblical principles to play everywhere, we may see similar results in every nook and cranny and corner of our church. That's what I'm believing and that's what I'm praying for. And so, today, in a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And and I know I preached long today. I had to, to get all this in. But here's what I want you to hear in all of this. Take out all the numbers and all the other, boil it down to this. God has a call for you. And if this church is to be what he intends for it to be, you have got to step up and do your part. How does God want you to plug in so that each part may be working properly? Let's pray. Lord, burden our hearts for what this looks like in each one of our lives, that we might be plugged in, working properly, serving in the places where you have put us so that the body may grow, not for our sake, but for yours, Jesus. Not so that we can get the credit, so that you receive the credit, that you are honored and glorified, not only now, but for all of eternity, with the lives of those who find salvation in Jesus. Move in our midst, we pray, Holy Spirit. Amen.